Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. In this new series, Unwrapping Christmas, we recognize it's that time of year to unpack the boxes and trim the tree. What if this year we could go beyond the boxes to experience something even greater? What if we actually expected Jesus to show up? So let's unwrap Christmas together and turn now to the final part of our series, Undoing Excess. It is hard to believe that we are already through this Christmas season, isn't it? Uh, I feel like just yesterday it was uh, June, and somehow I woke up today and we are now uh, at the end of December, close to the end of December. In fact, I, I said that about probably the entire uh, last two years. I don't know if you felt like this, um, and somebody told me the other day it just happens as you get older, so maybe that's just the reality. I don't really remember the last two years. Anybody else in that space? I, I feel like yesterday was 2019. I'm like, how in the world are we on the verge of 2022 here as we come to it? Uh, but we are, and that's fine. That's good. And we are also at the end of this Advent series, uh, unwrapping Christmas as we go through it. Now, if you've, if you've been with us through this whole series, uh, this is a journey that I've tried to take us on, and I call it kind of a journey of rediscovery. And here's what I mean by a journey of rediscovery. When we think of rediscovery, in particular, what I want us to do is to rediscover for each of us, and this may differ from person to person, the missing reason for the season. Right? There's a reason for this season, and that reason connects with your life in a very meaningful and personal way. And oftentimes, there are things that we do in our lives that cause us to miss the meaning of Christmas. We lose out on it as we go through it. Sometimes that reason is languishing. We've been waiting so long, we don't want to wait anymore. We don't like the waiting anymore. It's hard to wait. Like Zechariah, who waited and waited and waited, we just find no joy in waiting, and we start languishing in life. We feel like everything that we're doing is aimless as we go, go through this life. So some of us may be in that space of languishing, and we need in our lives kind of a, si- a season of silence to recapture some mastery and some meaning on what God has made us for. And in that way, we can find once again the gift of hope that God wants to give to us. Others of you, you're not in the season of languishing. You're just in a season of life, or maybe you're in this place, where the missing reason uh, for this season for you is you don't really believe that this gift is for you. You don't believe, and it can be for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's just you don't, you know, your self-confidence is low. You don't think it should come to you. It may not seem like it connects with you and where you are in life. Joseph was like this. Joseph just didn't believe it. He had trouble unwrapping the gift that God placed in his life because he's like, no, God, that's yours. That's not mine. I don't, I don't need to fit into that. I can't fit into that. And so he didn't believe. And so for him, finding, rediscovering faith on the other side of his lack of belief was important. And then last week, we looked at another reason, and we said that some people are just sort of missing the reason for this season because the gifts of joy that have shown up in your life showed up in a way that you don't like, right? And they seem like unwanted gifts. They seem like untimely gifts. And I said last week, and I've said this before, that gifts only really matter to us in a meaningful way when they land at the right time and in the right circumstances. And if they don't land in that way, then they could be the wrong gift for us, even if they might be the right gift for someone next to us. The problem with that approach is you don't really know the fullness of time. Right? You don't know all the circumstances that are taking place in the world. And so when God gives you a gift, even if it feels like it's not the right time, it feels like it's not the right circumstance for you, we have to trust in a God who rests over all of time, 
who sees all things from beginning to end. He sees all circumstances that are taking place in the world, and he invites us into a place to receive that gift. And that's what Mary did. Mary had to get to that place, even though she said, I don't want this. It's the wrong time for me. It's the wrong circumstances for me. She accepted that gift, and she finally found the joy that that gift brings. Now, the final one that I want to talk about this morning, the final way that we're going to look, uh, look at right, uh, this morning, has to do with this word right here, over, over. Now, uh, over has a lot of meanings. You know, in a really simple way, it just, it's like this over that, right? That, that's what it is, one hand over the next hand, one book over top of the other. I mean, it's a really simple word. But if you dig a little bit deeper, and I, I did this this week, dig a little bit deeper into where that word comes from, it starts to highlight where we are as a culture, right? The word first, it goes back to this German word uber, which is another way of saying over, but that word comes from a Greek word, hooper, which is where we get our word hyper. Now, anybody ever dealt with a hyper child? Amen, hallelujah, like, got a few of those. How many were just, were just amazed at all the kids up here this morning? They, they sat through that story, they were like rock stars up here. I was waiting for my child to just run across the stage and dive off the edge of the altar, like, that's what might happen. I'm sure some of y'all parents were thinking the same thing, trying to think. But this is the reality of having a hyper child, right? Hyper children sometimes, or anybody who's hyper in that case, in that environment, everything is out of order, Right? Chaos sort of reigns in those hyper environments. Everything gets lost. My son will come home. The first thing he does, which we're grateful for, he, you know, we tell him to put his shoes next to the door when he comes in. He kicks his shoes off, throws them across the living room, and then his socks, and he does the same thing. None of them landing in the same spot. Right, so we go on a search for all of these items all over the place. In fact, he did it this morning. Kicked his shoes off somewhere up here in the altar when he first got to church. It's just everything goes everywhere. Chaos sort of reigns in this, in this environment. And, and here's the challenge for the world that we're living in, which is over. Because this is the sort of chaos that I think exists in our world where we have this problem with over. Right? By over, what we mean is hyper, in abundance, in extreme, excessive, and this is what we're living in. For example, we tend, in this season in particular, we tend to overspend, right? Some of you might over-decorate a little bit, right? Your house looks like that National Lampoon's house. We all overeat, don't lie. I mean, you know we're in that space. We overeat in this season. In general, the problem that we have in a season like this is we overconsume. And here's, here's what happens. We lose the reason for this season when we overdo things in an overactive season. When we overdo things, we start to lose the meaning of Christmas. How many of you, in fact, have spent a little bit too much this year, right? Spent a little too much. How many of you maybe have ate a little too much already? We're not even to Christmas, but you've got all those, those snacks around your counter. How many, how many fans do I have of the Little Debbie Christmas trees? That's really what I want to know. I want to know where my friends are, right? Those, those are the things that just sort of exist in my house. I don't even know how they end up there, but throughout the season, they are there all the time. We overdo it with decorations. We'd overdo it in all these things. And our lives are so packed out during this season. The problem is we don't really leave any room for anything else. We don't leave room for the arrival of God in our lives in seasons like this or any season. And even when he does send gifts to us, good gifts for us to receive and take hold of, they're quickly lost. They're lost in the frenzied nature of our lives as we uh, kind of flitter from here to there and everything is gone. And this is the tension that most of us have in Christmas season. There's too much to do, too much to accomplish, too little time to do it. Most of us felt that tension this morning. In fact, you know, I, if I said to you at the beginning, as I did, we only have a week left, some of you were automatically like you felt your tension rise in your body 
because there's too much to do and too little time to do it. Some of you who are watching at home, you're probably multitasking right now. You've got an Amazon.com-like window open, and you're shopping while you're going through this. I don't see anybody doing that in here. It's okay, I'm not going to judge you if you do, but... But this is the reality of our lives. We have too much going on in our lives already. And early in the pandemic, you know, one of the things that we recognized that is the pandemic had this way of like slowing us down that was, that was beautiful, but it didn't keep us down, did it? It didn't stop us all together. And as quickly as we could fight our way back to norm, you know, what was normal or what we would say is normal, what that meant was we would overbook our lives again. We would get kind of swept back up in the rat race and moving and all of those things. And so we have forced our way back to full steam ahead over the past 20 months. And this frenzied existence right here is the type of reality that was settling into the ancient town of Bethlehem in the season that Christ was born. Now, unlike our season, our, our, our frenzied lives, that's just chronic. We do that over and over again. It's part of the culture we live into. It's part of how we experience the world. This was sort of a one-off for Bethlehem. But it was an important one-off because Mary and Joseph landed in the town of Bethlehem during that very time. You know, situationally, this didn't happen all the time. But in this moment, there was a census being taken. You've heard the story in Luke chapter 2. This census is going out to all the world. And in that space, everyone is called back to their hometowns. And it was over-the-top busy. In fact, let's just look once again. I know Travis and Allison read this to us earlier today. But in Luke chapter 2, it says in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from the emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Another way, traditionally this is said that the world should be taxed. This was the first census that was taken uh, or registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went out to their hometowns to be registered or to be sort of tabulated and the census could be taken. Now, this wasn't just an, a, a, a registration or a census for people of Jewish origin. This wasn't just unique to this area. In fact, the Roman, the Roman Empire did this all over the place. And there's a really important reason that they did this. And I want us to sort of hear it this morning and soak it in. The Roman Empire imposed this census onto the rest of the world, and they imposed a foreign reality into a holy space. Let that just sit for a moment. This is what happened. The Jewish order of things, the way that God had established that world and the ordering of life there, all those types of things, was infiltrated by this outside foreign pagan force. And the Roman Empire came in, and when they came in, they brought some of their customs. They brought some of their reality. They brought some of the way they do things into that space, all of their habits and customs. And the people in, in, in ancient Israel just sort of took those on as their own. They just started adapting those as their own. And this is a very similar world that we fall into, this struggle between holding values that are common to society and holding values that are sacred to our faith. In fact, the way I'd say it is our existence falls between the value common to society and the values sacred to our faith. You feel this all the time. You feel it all the time when I would say something that just does, sort of rubs up against the way that society does things. It's because the values of our faith often rub up against the values that are common in society. And we have to make a decision as to how we will live in that tension. Which way will we bend one day versus the next? And this is what was taking place in ancient Israel. This is an outside force coming in and imposing a new set of values on these people. And Mary and Joseph are caught up in that tension, trying to make a decision about how they can this in-between space between that which is holy and that which is uh, mundane. 
How can they navigate those two environments very carefully? And that's why Joseph actually left Nazareth and went back to Bethlehem. He's caught up in that tension, and he made a decision to go the route of, Roman, uh, of the Roman Empire. The next part of, of Luke's, Luke tells us this, verse 4. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was a descendant from the house and the family of David. Now, here's what you need to know. Not everybody actually had to leave their hometown where they were living in order to go back to their place of birth. The reason you would go back to your place of birth is really simple. You wanted to claim some property there, right? Let's say you moved out of Rutherford County. You ended up in Charlotte or Asheville or one major place, but your mommy and daddy had, had a lot of land, right? Your grandparents had a lot of land. And in this season, if you wanted a piece of that land, what would you do? Come back home. Come back home, make sure to claim it. Make sure to put your name on it so that the empire can stamp its approval on it. And forevermore, that will be your property. Yes, you have to pay taxes on it. But the ultimate thing and what you're aiming for in this place is to gain a home place. So Joseph had a decision to make. I can stay where I'm at in Galilee and Nazareth. I can stay there. We can make a life for ourselves or I can gain a piece of the home place. I can go back and I can write my name on the registry there in Bethlehem and I can gather some property. And if I get there quick enough, I'll beat out the rest of my cousins. I'll beat out the rest of my relatives. I'll claim that property before they claim that property and it will be okay. It doesn't matter what's going on. And so Joseph leaves with this sort of sense of urgency about him as he makes his way back. Why? Because he's trying to secure some peace and a future for his family. He, he leaves in the middle of this urgency. Does it matter that his wife's in her third trimester of pregnancy? No, it doesn't matter. You know, that doesn't matter. Does it matter that Dr. Dixon told her not to go? No, that doesn't matter at all. We're not going to listen to her. It doesn't matter what she said. She, it doesn't matter if she placed her on travel restrictions or not. Joseph enters into this over-the-top world, and he carries with him this young expectant mother, and he's doing it because he's, he's caught up in the rat race because he ultimately wants to create peace for his family. You see, he's got good motives behind this. He's got good motivation as he's entering into it. And if he can get into that space, if he can get to, get to Bethlehem quick enough, he'll beat cousin Bill out of it, right? He'll beat his third cousin, uh, Randy, twice removed from the family. He'll, he'll beat them out of it. And he doesn't have to worry about it if he can just get there quick enough. He doesn't care about the taxes. He'll have to pay the taxes. But he'll secure for his family and this new child a home. They'll be at peace. They'll find peace. Now, you all know what happens. You've heard this story. We, we just sang this song, Away in the Manger, in a beautiful way, right? Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. You know the next part of this story. Joseph gets caught up in the rat race, and somewhere in the middle of this, as he makes his way back to his, his hometown in a frantic rush, trying to beat out his other relatives, ironically, and this is one of the greatest ironies in all of Scripture. He's going back in order to secure a home place, and he ends up displacing his family. He's going back with everything within him to make sure that he can secure that property, and he ends up with a family who's homeless, with a baby who is born into nothing. Luke tells us this in so many words. He says, He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to, to deliver the child. You know, Mary's saying this all the time. Joseph, I told you this was going to happen. This is exactly what the doctor warned us about. This was going to take place. If we went, you wouldn't listen. You just had to go about it and go as fast as you can. You couldn't wait. I mean, Cousin Roy, heaven forbid he get two more acres than you, right? 
You told me this was going to happen, Joseph. Yeah, I get it, whatever. But now we're in a place and I don't have a place to lay my head. And because Joseph couldn't wait, the next verse says it this way, she gave birth to her firstborn. She just wrapped him in bands of cloth and she laid him in a feeding trough for animals because there was no room for them anywhere in the inn. There was no place for them to go. There was no place for them to lay their hands head down. So Joseph goes back to his hometown in this frantic pace to secure a future for his family. He wants to make sure everyone is at peace and he wants to secure and make sure everything's secure. And if he had, you know, if he had rushed just a little bit faster, maybe he could have gotten it done. As I read this story, I couldn't help but think of our own families. Well, the things we've said probably. How many times have we been in that situation where we would say, you know, I'll sacrifice at the moment, just, just sacrifice just temporarily. Just, just sacrifice this peace just for a moment because I know it's just for a season. I know it'll go away. Give me another week. Give me another week at this pace and I promise things will slow down. I promise it'll be different. It'll all be worth it. We'll be able to breathe a huge sigh of relief. It'll all be over. I promise things. It makes sense. But those moments don't ever seem to come, do they? Because what ends up happening is one of those moments leads to another one of those moments. One of those seasons seems to open the door for another one of those seasons and another one and another one. And what we end up seeing is that our overpaced seasons of life end up becoming our overpaced way of life. It's not a season for us. It's the way we live. We become sort of addicted to it and live into it over and over and over again. And when this happens in our lives right here, what begins as a pathway to peace for many of us actually becomes the very thing that stands in the way of peace. It becomes the obstacle to our peace. What started for Joseph as a pathway to peace, if he just rushes and gets there and gets everything taken care of, he can have a home place and he can be well off, actually becomes an obstacle to his family having peace in that opening moment, in that opening space. Rush, rush, rush to Bethlehem. Do everything you can. Make sure land is secure. Make sure the house is built. Make sure the papers are signed. Oh, wait, there's no room here at all. I've gotten wrapped up in all the frenzied pace that I don't even have a spot to rest tonight. There's no place for me to calm down, to find that peace. Right? The Motel 6 has turned their lights off. They, you can't get in. None of that is happening. And now what started as a frantic pace down a pathway of peace has become for a Joseph an obstacle on the pathway to peace. When Mary and Joseph try to find that place to rest, they can't find it. That frantic pace has led to a dead end and no peace can be found. You know, and I've seen, I've seen the cartoons just like you. We, we imagine this sort of young couple, you know, like quietly pacing through the street, looking for a place to stay, and innkeeper after innkeeper's like, no, I'm sorry, no room in the inn, shuts the door back and tells them there's no room. But the reality is, is in ancient customs, uh, what, what this looked like more was, it was less like our hotel model trying to find an open door somewhere or a vacancy, no vacancy sign, you know, on. It's unlikely that, that Joseph and Mary went to a place with no luck. Chances are, when we talk about an inn, oh, very sorry, I woke a few of you up right there. <laughs> when we talk about an inn, what we're talking about is a family, uh, a family arrangement. Mary and Joseph were probably staying with family. They were probably had an arrangement to stay with extended relatives. But in the pace of going throughout this area, Joseph finally comes to the family's home, but he comes so late into a place where he could have found peace that there's no room in that house, and so all they can do is make arrangements for them to spend the night in the place where the animals are kept. That frantic pace that they were living into 
leads them to a place where they could have found peace, but now they're stuck on the outside. And Mary and Joseph end up on the lowest levels, sleeping in the same place with animals. Now, we don't know anything about the person who led this house, who owned this house, who finally accepted them and gave them a place there. We don't know anything about that. What we do know about him is this. He did actually offer them the peace of a good night's sleep. He did everything he could in the environment that he had to make room for them. He didn't have a lot. He didn't have access to a lot. And some of us in our lives, we don't have access to a lot of things that we think might give us better opportunities for peace. But we do have access to certain tools in our hands. And God can call us into a place like this ancient innkeeper who doesn't get a name, who we really don't know exists. We just know somebody opened the doors. We can use the items that are in our hands to create peace for other people. To anyone else, the space seemed like nothing at all. It seemed too lowly. It seemed like no one would want this. But for this innkeeper, he looked at that space and said, you know what, as meaningless as it is, I think I can open that space up and create some room for peace in this person's life, in this family's life. I think I can turn this nothingness into something. It became a place, this became a place, where the Prince of Peace would actually first lay his head at night. This became the place where the Lord of all the universe would descend and be born into this world. And here's my question for you. Where are the spaces of nothingness in your life that God wants you to make some room for him to move? Where are the spaces of nothingness in your life? Where are the spaces where you aren't demanded upon? No one is expecting anything out of that space. But that's a space maybe you could open up in your life and allow God to move through, allow God's peace to come into. You don't have to bring anything into the space. You don't have to add anything more. From the outside, it doesn't look like you could offer a whole lot. But it's a space that you have in your life, as meaningless and insignificant as it may seem, where God is wanting to do something. Where is that for you? Where is it resting in your life? And where is God calling you to find that? You know, as it was for the Holy Family and the Christ Child, I believe that peace in your life and in the lives of others around you, peace can be gathered in the simplicity of nothingness. You don't have to offer a whole lot. You don't have to have the 70-whatever-inch TV on your wall. You, know, you can have a moment where you can just look someone in the eyes and share a conversation and a cup of coffee. You have these moments where you can sit in silence beside a fireplace you have these moments in your life where you can pause and make a phone call. It's the simplicity of nothing that can bring peace to someone's life. Not the, not the rushed and frantic pace of Christmas that surrounds us. None of that. It's this moment where we don't hurry. We just pause. I think it's in those moments right there for you and for me that true peace can not only be given but can also be received. We can find it in our lives. And when we fight against this American urge over and over again to overproduce and overspend and overproduce and overspend and overconsume and overspend over and over and over and over and over again, we can find that peace. You know, John, Mike, uh, John Mark Comer is a pastor on the West Coast, and uh, he wrote a book. It's a great book if you want to grab it sometime. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a wonderful book to help us wrap our minds around how we can get this out of our lives. If you've not read it, hurry, go get it. No, Grab the book. You can get on Amazon right now and get it. I'm really plugging them. I don't know how to do this. I love what he says about this in, in his life. It's a, it's a beautiful line he has that he offers. And I'll put it on the screen for you to see. He says in that book, the solution to an over busy life is not more time, 
right? If you're busy, you'll just consume more time. If you're consuming all the time you got right now, you'll consume more. Trust me, it'll, it'll happen. So the solution to an overbusy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around the things that really matter. You see, peace can be found for you in the simplicity of your reality, not in the business of your reality. It's not found in you securing something in order to one day have peace. It's found in the places in your life that seem like nothing that you can lean into those spaces a little bit more and create room for the Prince of Peace to settle in. When Joseph finally decided to enter the room, he looked into that room, he saw his young bride-to-be, his newborn son laying there in a feeding trough. He looked around and he discovered what really mattered. He saw it in front of him. He had been running all around to secure this property and these items and this stuff. And all he needed to do was enter into the simplicity of a barn. And he found what really mattered sitting there. He found it laying there. And that's what happens to you and me. What, what happens to us when we embrace the simplicity of nothing, when we strip everything else away from our life, when we simplify it, we start to see that the things that really mattered were right there staring us in the face. If you'll eliminate the excess in your life, if you'll simplify, if you'll cut off the surplus, you'll find missing peace that God has already got for you. And it's resting in your life right now. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. A prince of peace who is here to bring you peace that passes all understanding. And friends, in this season of craziness, and I know it's crazy for all of us in crazy different ways, and it's busy for all of us in in a variety of different ways, are you leaving room in your heart for the Prince of Peace to settle? Are you leaving room in your life for the Prince of Peace to be there? Are your boxes too full? Have you packed too much stuff out, or have you left some room there? Are you really ready to undo the excess in your life? And to say, no, this Christmas is going to be different. I'm going to embrace the beauty of simplicity and I'm going to find peace there, not only for myself, but I'm going to find a peace that I can give to others. You know, on the altar here where uh, where the Advent candles lay are some really simple, simple white ornaments. And in just a moment, the praise team's going to come back and they're going to sing one final song. And as they do, I'm going to invite you in the same fashion that we would come and receive communion, to come and to take one of those ornaments in your hand. And all across the altar are some permanent markers. Some of them are a little, little bigger tip than others, so just write finally if you can. But on these ornaments, I want you to commit to one area of simplicity in your life. As you come this morning, I want to encourage you to lay aside an area of your life where you've been struggling to be upwardly mobile and to move in that way, and I want you to embrace the simplicity of wood and hay. What's the area of your life? And you can write it down in one word. Think of one word that might capture this for you. But where's the one place in your life where peace can be found? Where is it? What's the word? And you may want to take just a moment and to be in prayerful reflection about this before you come to the altar. But I want us to seriously contemplate where that can be found. And as you're done, what I want you to do, I don't, I don't want you to take those uh, ornaments back with you. I just want you to leave them. There's a, on the back side of the altar rail, there's a little, little place that you can just drop those ornaments. Just drop those ornaments in, that, in the back of the altar rail and leave them here. And when we come together on Christmas Eve, we'll once again revisit these areas of simplicity and peace in our lives, the places in our life that God is calling us to a deeper level of peace. Again, an area that may seem virtually 
meaningless to you, but an area that if you'll open it up, not only will others find meaningful peace, but you will as well. So where is it? And as you're ready, and as they sing, I invite you to come and to grab one of those ornaments, ride on it, and drop it into the altar, altar uh, right here. If you're at home this morning, maybe you have an ornament, a simple, simple ornament that you can grab. Grab a permanent marker, write that down. If you're going to come to our Christmas Eve service, bring it with you. We'd be happy to include that in our celebration. But let's together celebrate and remember the peace that was born this day. Would you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you so much for the Prince of Peace that has been born into this world and then invites us into a space where we can experience your peace everlasting. Father, we know that in moments like this, in seasons like this, there is a rushed, frantic pace to our lives. It becomes difficult to find that peace. But God, we ask in this moment, in the simplicity of this moment and the simplicity of this action, that you would help us once again rediscover where that peace might be found. To lean into it. And not only open a new door for peace in our own hearts, but open a space for peace that others might find. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray.